You know, one of the things that uh, you get to know when you're in a church family, a church community like this, is there are great joys, and we've just been celebrating one of the great joys of church community, but there are also sadnesses as well. And just this last week, we've lost two much-loved members of our uh, church community. Uh, so Peter Martin and Margaret Drew very sadly passed away in the last uh, week or so. Uh, they had uh, strong faith in Jesus, so we know uh, that they're with him now, uh, but it's a, a sad time. So churches like that, isn't it? A church family is like that. There are great joys and great sadnesses as well. So please hold uh, the family of Peter and Margaret in your prayers. And once we know details of uh, when funerals are going to be and stuff like that, we'll let you know. So let's get into this uh, co-pilot stuff uh, today. So, so far in this series, we've been talking about uh, this idea of a co-pilot. Who or what are you inviting into the co-pilot seat of your life to help you navigate the skies, to lift you when you feel uh, low, to direct you, uh, to be alongside you, and all of those kind of things. And today, we're talking about uh, who's checking the fuel gauges of your life. Who's checking the fuel gauges? One of the jobs of a co-pilot. Now, I want to ask you this question. If you had fuel gauges in front of you right now, marked like this, marked self-assurance or confidence, maybe, or marked self-worth, or marked energy or kind of tiredness or emotional well-being, and then one marked capability, so your ability to do things, where would the gauges in your life be pointing to right now? Would they be full? Would they be half full? Would they be empty? How do you feel like you're running in those areas of your life right now? I suspect if I were to ask you to answer that question, you'd say to me, well, it really depends on the situation that I find myself in. I wonder if you've ever been in one of those situations where you have felt completely unprepared for something, like totally out of your depth. Well, my suspicion is if that was the case, your self-assurance and your self-worth gauges would be running pretty low, wouldn't they, at that moment in your life? What about if you were the least likely person to be chosen for a particular task or activity. Or you think, look, everybody else knows way more than I do. Everybody else could do that better than I can. If you're in that place and sort of thinking like that, well, maybe your capability and your self-assurance gauges would be running low. What about when you've been told something? When you've been told this thing that usually starts with a two, T-double-O, you're too young too old, too immature, too underqualified, too weak, too poor. Well, you've been told you're too something. How do the gauges in your life feel then? I'm guessing your self-worth gauge would feel pretty low at that point. Or what about when you felt tired or drained emotionally? Your energy gauge is probably feeling pretty low. So I think these gauges depend on where we are on the stage that we're at in our lives. But in those kinds of situations, we become really aware of our shortcomings, really aware of our weaknesses. And I'm guessing that actually all of us can resonate with that, whether we would say that we were a Christian or whether we'd say, look, I'm not sure about this God stuff. I'm exploring faith. I wouldn't call myself a Christian. I reckon all of us could resonate with that idea of those gauges running low in our lives from time to time. Many years ago now, 
when I uh, was in a different career, I had to go, uh, I was very young, I had to go and deliver a training course at a naval base. And it was a training course in some IT stuff that the company that I worked for did. And this uh, naval base was a place where they administrated lots of Navy things. They did all the payroll for the Navy and all of that kind of stuff. And they sent me down there to deliver a training course. I was about 23, 24 years of age. Can you imagine driving in a beaten up old Ford Fiesta that was basically clapped out onto a naval base? And I arrived, and I parked the car, and I went in, and I asked for the person who was going to be my point of contact. And just before they came out to meet me, I thought, oh, I should clean my glasses, because that will make a good impression. Well, as I cleaned my glasses, they chose that very moment to explode. One of the, like, pin things came out, my glasses went everywhere, and as the guy, the naval whatever he was, commander, came out from his office... I was scrabbling around on the floor trying to put my glasses together and find all the little bits and pieces. So it wasn't a great first impression. And then when we went into his office and we started talking about what the day was going to unfold, suddenly a message came out on the tannoy. And it said, would the owner of car registration number blah, 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 my car, please move your car. You've parked in the Admiral's parking space. So I had to admit and then go and move my beaten up old Ford Fiesta out of clearly where the Admiral was supposed to park his or her car. I can tell you, when I think about that story now, it still sends shivers down my spine. I felt unprepared. I felt very unconfident having gone through all of that. I was like the youngest person in the room by a country mile and I was trying to teach all these wizened old naval officers about how to do IT stuff. It was an absolute, well, it went okay, but I felt like it was a disaster. My self-assurance, self-worth and capability gauges felt like they were running on empty. When you feel like that, where do you go? When you feel like those gauges are running low, where do you go to get them topped up? Who's sitting next to you in the co-pilot seat of your life, ready to warn you that you're running low and ready to top up the tanks to encourage you to keep going? Where can we find self-assurance, self-worth, equipping, and energy? Where can we find those things? Well, I've got an answer this morning to that. So if you're ready for an answer to that question of where can I go to find that sort of stuff to get my tanks topped up, then you are in just the right place today. Because I think there is a person who is waiting to be invited into the co-pilot seat of your life to help you with those things. And to find this answer, to find this person, we're going to go to one of the very first church leaders one of the very first followers of Jesus, who at least on the surface had everything worked out. On the surface, at least, had every reason for high levels of self-worth, of self-confidence and assurance, of capability and of energy. His name was Paul. He was a rabbi. He'd been trained in religious ways. He was highly educated, a highly educated man. He had impeccable religious credentials. He would have had loads of self-confidence and loads of self-worth. He knew what was right and knew what was wrong, or he thought he knew what was right and thought he knew what was wrong. He was rich, and he knew the sorts of things to say and to teach and to show other people. But then we get to this situation, knowing all that we know now about Paul, 
we get to this situation where he's writing to a church he knows well, a church in a place called Corinth, and he's writing, and his gauges are empty. His tanks are showing empty. Let me read to you a little bit from, this is his first letter to the people living in Corinth in the New Testament part of the Bible, and in chapter 2, it says this, and this is Paul speaking, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. How is this possible? How are his gauges? Where are his gauges? Well, his gauges of confidence and assurance and worth and capability, in Paul's own words, are running low. He's coming feeling weak with great fear and trembling. How is it that this self-assured, capable, highly educated man who had impeccable religious credentials could get to this point where he says, I've got nothing I'm fearful and trembling. My tanks are running on empty. Well, the reason for it is because of the message that he is carrying. The message that he is carrying. Because the message, and he tells us this in the previous chapter to chapter 2, the message he is carrying seems so foolish and so beyond imagining that nobody could possibly believe it was true. See, nobody in Corinth, or pretty much in any other place, would ever have thought to look for the secret to life, the universe, God, freedom, salvation, in an execution. In the execution of an unknown man outside a small, rebellious city in the Middle East. Nobody would have thought to look for those things there. Yet this was all Paul had to offer. This was the message and the only message that Paul now had to bring because, you see, Paul had met the risen Jesus. He'd met the crucified Jesus, that man living in a tiny outpost of the Roman Empire. And Paul, when he met that Jesus, realized that Jesus was the key to life, to salvation, to freedom, to everything. And Paul realized in that moment that all his education, all his credentials, all his religious uh, practices up to that point, all his wealth didn't count for anything in comparison. All he has now is this message to share, the message of a poor, marginalized, homeless, humiliated, tortured, executed man. Imagine this was you. Imagine you were going to stand up in front of an audience of the great and the good and having nothing to say except to recount a strange event that happened in this outpost, this unreally unknown place a few years ago that sounds so crazy, but which you happen to think contains the secret to everything. Imagine you were that person and you believe that to the core of your being and now you've got to try and share that with a bunch of other people but the reason you believe it to the core of your being is because that poor marginalized homeless humiliated tortured executed man didn't just die on a cross that was not the end of the story 
that man came back from the dead, offering a relationship with God and the defeat of death and sin. Sounds crazy. Paul says in the previous chapter, it sounds like foolishness. But Paul had encountered this risen Jesus for himself and was so overwhelmed by that encounter, so passionate about what it had done to transform his life and the need to share that with others, that he kept on going. He realized that the good news of Jesus carries its own power, so it doesn't matter that he feels under-equipped, unprepared, and even foolish. And look in the next couple of verses where Paul goes to get his tanks topped up to see him through those feelings of of a lack of confidence and worth and capability and all those kind of things. He says this, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. And by the way, Paul's religious credentials were so impeccable that if he'd wanted to try to preach with wise and persuasive words, he would have known just how to do that. But he says, look, my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. You see, when Paul is running on empty, God is at his most powerful because God is ready, willing, and able to fill Paul with the presence of Jesus. That's what the Spirit means, God's presence. And throughout God's story in the Bible, we read about different metaphors for this spirit that help us understand what this spirit means. And it's this spirit that we've been talking about throughout this series as an offer from God to be the co-pilot in our lives. And some of these metaphors are things like wind. There's this idea that, that wind is a metaphor for the spirit of God. And wind, all the way through God's story, is a spirit of regeneration, of God breathing life into people. And one of the other metaphors is, is fire. It's a powerful metaphor throughout God's story for the presence of God, but also for God's guidance. God guided his people in the Old Testament part of the Bible with pillars of fire. So those metaphors tell us that the Spirit of God is about breathing life into people and offering power and guidance and direction. The Spirit of God is available to breathe life into us. The Spirit of God is God's powerful presence with us, able to lead us and guide us. And you see, this Spirit is available to Paul. So when Paul is running on empty, God's power is able to be present in his life, enabling him, filling up the tanks, giving him what he needs. You see, this is so important because when Paul is running on empty, anything that happens to impact people for the sake of God must be about God and not about Paul. Anything that happens as a result of the things that Paul does must be because God was at work in his life and present with him and guiding him. See, when Paul is at the end of his capability, any impact from the things that he says or he brings will not be resting on his brilliance, but on God's power. And in these words that Paul speaks here, we find echoes of a promise that Jesus made to his first friends just a few years before. 
in the New Testament book of Acts, recounting the story of what happened immediately after Jesus left to go back to be with his Father in heaven. And just before Jesus goes back, he says this to them. Right at the beginning of that book, Jesus says to his friends, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The context of this is these friends of Jesus have been asking him, Jesus, now you're back from the dead. When are you going to restore your kingdom? When are you going to make good the people of Israel again? And Jesus says, look, that's not for you to know or to worry about. What you need to do is be my witnesses. And I'm going to give you this gift of the Spirit of God to help you and to equip you and to empower you to be my witnesses. When... In ancient times, when a new king was appointed, then uh, heralds were sent out because there was like, there's no TV or internet or anything like that. So how did anybody know that in the center of a kingdom, a new king had been appointed or a new king had come to power? It's very difficult to communicate that to people all through the kingdom. So what happened is heralds were sent out to tell people that a new king had been appointed. And as those heralds went out, so the authority of the king swept across a kingdom as those heralds told people of this story. And you see, Jesus is saying, I want you to do the same. There's a new king, and it's me, crucified and resurrected Jesus. There's a new king, and I want you to go out and herald this and be witnesses to this so that the authority of the kingdom of God might spread all across the world was a new king, the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And one day, he will come back again to restore his perfect kingdom. But in the meantime, Jesus says, go out equipped by the power of the Spirit to be my herald, my witnesses, to bring the good news of this king so that his authority will rule throughout the world. And Jesus says, don't worry if you feel ill-equipped unprepared, unworthy, weak, because the power of the Spirit, my presence with you, will be on you and enabling you to witness to the love and mercy and life-transforming power of Jesus. And this was so true for them, because you see, these first friends of Jesus, when they received this gift of the Spirit of God, transformed from being a bunch of people hiding and in fear of their lives with gauges and tanks of self-assurance, self-worth, capability and energy that were running on empty. They were transformed into people of boldness and courage, people capable of launching a movement that would transform the world. It's the power of the Spirit of God. And by the way, if you're a Jesus follower and you want to experience more of the power of this Holy Spirit at work in your life, then prioritizing reaching out with the love of Jesus to others, being a witness and a herald to what Jesus has done, prioritizing that in your prayers, in your actions, and in your words is the best way to experience more of the Spirit of God at work in your life. It's Jesus' promise. You will receive power when the Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. So to experience more of the power of God means to be more willing to be a witness to all that Jesus has done. You know, sometimes 
people think or, or we even hear around here from time to time, because one of our passions is about witnessing to the love and the mercy and the grace of God to people who don't know it yet. And some people think when a church does that, it somehow compromises the ability of Christians to grow in their faith. I've got to tell you, that is rubbish. I'm so sorry if, I, if I'm treading on toes and you've said that. That's rubbish. It's when we our, are prioritizing, witnessing and reaching out with the love of God that the Holy Spirit is most powerful in our lives. When we are prioritizing people who don't know God... We are most closely aligned with the mission of Jesus who said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And the goal of our spiritual growth, if we're Christians, is to grow to be more like Jesus. We are never more like Jesus than we are when we are prioritizing those who are lost and who need the love of God. Never more like him, because that was his primary mission and purpose. So let's not ever get those things confused. And for those first followers of Jesus, it wasn't that God took away all the scary stuff. It wasn't that God took away all the persecution. They received plenty of it. Many of them would die later on in their stories because they refused to give up on sharing the love of God with other people. Of course they got tired. Of course they got afraid. Of course they were worried and anxious. And of course, I'm sure many, many times they felt way out of their depth. They felt too young or too old or, or not educated enough or not committed enough. They felt all of those things. It was in spite of those things that God was able to work through them because God had filled them and equipped them and God's power was in them. And what was true for these friends of Jesus who would have heard him making these promises, it was true for Paul too. Paul was a key architect in the launching of that movement, despite his fear and his trembling and his weakness. Paul was an architect in the launch of this movement that still grows around the world today. What if like Paul and like those followers of Jesus, what if our moments of greatest weakness were the moments where the light of God in our lives could shine brightest? What if our moments of greatest weakness were the moments where God was most evident in our lives? If you're searching for God, if you're seeking him, if you're exploring faith, maybe if you have doubts about God, you're not quite sure what you believe, what if your greatest doubts, your greatest fears or your greatest weaknesses when it comes to God were actually the place where God wants to meet you and make himself known to you. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, what if those situations and circumstances where you feel like your gauges of self-assurance, self-worth, energy and capability were running on low? What if they were the, they were the places where God's power could be most evident in your life. Who are you inviting into the co-pilot seat of your life to monitor your fuel gauges and be ready to top up your tanks? God is ready and willing to move in your life. And it's often at your moments of greatest weakness that God is most powerful and most evident in your life.
So maybe you feel like that today. Maybe those situations are true for you in your life right now that we talked about right at the beginning. Maybe you feel like some of those gauges are running low. This is a moment where God wants to meet you, where God can shine brightest in your life. All you have to do is ask him and invite him to be alongside you, to journey through life with you, to sit in the co-pilot seat of your life. We're going to pray. We're going to offer that opportunity for you to invite God uh, in. Doug and the band are going to lead us in some more songs, which is another opportunity for us to do that. Why don't, if you're willing, would you stand with me if you're willing and able? Uh, just Sometimes our body language can just make us a little bit more ready <laughs> to receive what God has for us. Just move around. You've sat listening to me for quite a long time now, so shake it out if you want to do that. If you're at home, we'd love for you to just maybe stand where you are too. Let's pray. God, we uh, open ourselves up to you this morning. We confess that there are so many moments in our lives where we feel like those gauges are running low, where we feel like we're running empty, where we feel like our self-assurance or our self-worth, our confidence, our abilities, our energies are running low. Lord God, we thank you that it's in those moments of our greatest weakness that your power can be most evident. And Lord, today we invite you, we ask you now to come, to sit next to us in the co-pilot seat of our lives, to lead us and guide us, to direct us, to fill us. Lord God, we, we're just aware that many times your kind of your power is, is not necessarily one that takes away all that stuff, that takes away our fear or takes away the difficult situation or takes away the moment where we step into something that we feel totally unprepared for. It's not that you take those situ situations away. It's, it's somehow you work in us to enable us to move through them, to stand in spite of them, to keep going through them. Lord God, now just in these moments, these precious moments that we have together over the next few minutes. Fill us, we pray. Pour out your power upon us, we ask. Sit in the co-pilot seat of our life and lead us and direct us.